so recently I was reading um what do you call the weekly newsletter? Is it called Silicon Anchor News? Did you ever call it that? Or is it just what yeah, I mean newsletter? It, it's a weekly newsletter, but yeah, that for um we still have the it's it's labeled that, but yeah, it's not called anything in particular. Okay, so I was reading that thing labeled I think what you just said is Silicon Anchor News. And yeah. on it, you have these things that are, um, you call it Tim's take. I call them the double T's, right? Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so like it's uh, some high level um, article that you read somewhere. I guess it's usually global news or, or yeah, uh, that's national our, that's, news. Yeah, that's the macro, macro news section. Yes, yes. And so I, I was looking through this the other day and I get to the last one. And um, it's interesting. Uh, apparently, Mark Zuckerberg wants to fight uh, Elon Musk. And your take on this was um, they have better fish to fry, basically. Yeah. Um, a lot of people would disagree with your statement as they want to see these two behemoths. One is obviously a lot larger than the other. Um, you don't want to see these two fight? Like, it, you... I'm not saying that. I, well, I don't, I'm not saying that I don't want to see them fight. And I think that it'll probably attract the biggest pay-per-view that's, audience that's, in the that's history. What Dana, that's what Dana White has already said. And he's the guy putting them together. He thinks it'd yeah. be the biggest ever. Yeah. I just think in comparison of, hey, let's let's get Starship in orbit. Let's get closer to Mars. Let's get the Cybertruck on the road. In terms of those things, it's a little bit more important than uh, taking a few hours out of your day to uh, train for a fight. When, but I mean, entertainment value though, it's great. Who do you think would win? Well, so that's the, the thing that I learned out of this. I was I was telling my wife that, that I just the thing that I learned that was the most fascinating was that Zuckerberg is only five seven. I had no idea. And like a buck fifty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elon six one and a little bit more than that. So. Well, I mean, Zuckerberg, man, he's been uh, he's been doing this. He's been in this world for a little while and he's like a, cha a champion. Uh, but apparently Elon is, too. And some. Well, Elon's his signature move is the walrus, which I think is really funny. Have you heard okay. about the walrus? Um, I'm a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> he just lays on Leo. He just lays on them. And he, you know, because he's so big and heavy, nobody can move. So uh, that's that's what he plans to do. Is it a Beatles well, song? Is it a Beatles song? I just hear him coming out. That, <laughs> I'm the walrus. Oh. No, I, did it is, you? It is funny. Did you meet today's guest at one of my things? Yeah, I know where I yeah. met him. I met him at Start Norfolk One, November 11th, 2011. Yeah, this is two weeks in a row that we've uh, we've gone old school with some mm -hmm. some some OG community, which is a lot of fun. Where Where did you meet Bo? At, do you know the exact one? Was it was either I can't remember if it was at a start peninsula or a start Norfolk or if it was I mean, I know that and I look forward to talking about this was the whole makerspace idea on our road trip up to northern Virginia for uh, the at that the time, the CIT several ideas. I mean, um, yeah, Glenn Moriarty's seven, seven cups. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, welcome uh, to the show, Bo Turner, um, lead man at 757 makerspace. Yeah, at the at the at the time, wasn't it a zombie tag, Bo? Yeah, that the, was one it of the was our, Yep, that was our very first pitch, our very first thing at Start Norfolk. I met Zach literally one week before Start Norfolk one. Oh, really? That was our yeah. Okay, so I was wrong. Uh, well, only because we went out to lunch. Okay. I think I, I we might have crossed paths at that software development meetup like a couple years earlier, but. Not in a meaningful way, not in an impactful way, the way that you did and what you did with Start Norfolk. Was that uh, 2011 or 12? 
11. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we took a crazy idea way back then. And, uh, and just that love of startups and that high paced thing of let's start on a Friday, let's build something and let's test this, build it, go as fast as possible and see what happens. That's, uh, that's awesome, man. Like there's, there's no other feeling quite like that. Yeah, there was, um, and then I remember like six months later, we did start Norfolk two. I think we, we had a lot more people at that. We had a lot at the first one, a lot of energy, mm-hmm. a lot at the second one. We did the, the game. We, you guys had, um, released it at that point. Um, you put some ridiculous contraption on my head. I don't think what was Tim there. Did I not know? Like, I don't think I knew Tim yet. No. I yeah. I don't think we had met Tim. I know Tim didn't come into the orbit for me around that, but we did. That's where we met Chip. Was at Start Norfolk Two, uh, Chip okay. Dodd, uh, who I don't know if he's been on, a guest on here yet. But man, Chip Dodd is awesome, and we met him before he was doing the adventure racing stuff. He's you know heavy skateboarder, wonderful businessman, just wonderful friend. He does really cool stuff, but he was doing crazy GoPro stuff, and he's like, "Oh, let's let's capture this footage because it's one thing to try to show zombie tag." And for those that don't know, this was a uh, we solved the technical challenge to a problem that didn't exist, which means it's the quickest path to immediately no money as you're searching and trying to figure out like, what is the market? What else can this do? And we did that with a couple of friends, built a business around that. And at the time, it was Pokemon Go before Pokemon Go existed. So we built this engine. There was multiple devices. iPhones had just come out. Androids had come out. Uh, Blackberries were out. There's like eight different devices, and they all had GPSs. And we wanted to see if there was a way to get all those different devices to be able to communicate. And we skinned that with a game of zombies on top of that. So we could see whether it was two, di- two devices or two billion devices, real-time position amongst all mm. of those. GPS quality was you know down to about 10 feet or so, you know, 15 feet between where it actually was, somewhere in there. And then over time, it just you know continued to get better. What is but it now? To the just, oh, we're down to, I can tell you, if I look at GPS position of somebody like with uh, a find my phone, like just the iPhone, I can tell you within three feet anywhere I am where someone's at inside the building. Like I can tell if you're in the corner in the front of the building, if you're in the wood shop, if you're in the metal shop, and that's through the building itself. So it's GPS has, has gotten really improved with that stuff. Yeah, dude, it's crazy, man. I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning and it was talking about V2V. And that's a uh, vehicle to vehicle communications. And so 10 times yeah. a second, vehicles communicate with one another, like heading speed. Uh, so if they're going to be making a lane change, if they're taking a left turn, right turn, all these cars are now, now talking to one another to defer their autonomous driving. Pretty fascinating stuff. Wow. It's really interesting. And I didn't realize that for years, we've already had some communication technology like that. If inside your tires, Right. So, you know, yeah. Zach and I started out. We also bonded over uh, having Jeeps originally. The thing that's inside of your tire that tells your car that you're low on air, it's wireless communication. There's a little teeny thing. And it's, you know, every so often the battery, a couple of years have to be replaced. Some of the newer ones are just as it's spinning, it's generating power for that. I never realized that there's been that wireless communication for, you know, for way longer than I ever expected inside of a vehicle. Do you still have a Jeep? I do. I still have the same Jeep. Same. That same way. I, <laughs> I do too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. It's so, um. So, so to finish that story real quick. So when we met Chip, he was really into GoPros and setting up just awesome camera angles to be able to show stuff. 
and we had just bought a GoPro for Start Norfolk One. Literally that week that I had met you, there was a pitch video that everybody had to do, and you know we didn't really have a lot of great cameras, DSLRs, and that kind of stuff at the time. So uh, we took the little bit of money that we had and went out and bought a GoPro, and that's what we shot our our promo pitch video to be accepted in the Start Norfolk One. So we showed up, and Chip goes, "Hey, I've got all these accessories," and he goes out to his vehicle and he comes back. And he takes the helmet and he takes a piece of PVC and he rigs it so it's like a helicopter 360. Oh, I remember, yes. I remember I'm trying that. to find I'm trying to find the I'm trying to find the picture. Okay. <laughs> I, I know the shot you're looking at because we've used that so many times. It was so good. That blue helmet that was in there. And that captures this really cool footage, like first person view, and it would spin around you and you'd be able to see this view that you know we could never capture any other way. It was it was really cool. And he just had such a, a great idea for for fun angles and fun ways to be able to set that stuff up. Have you always been, yeah, you, uh, you're, you've been, you've been blessed with a creative mind, man. I mean, is that, is that just Bo Turner you, you, your whole life? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely gotten me in trouble. You know, when I was younger in school, I always enjoyed taking apart stuff. Even if I like, I really had no idea like what was inside of there. I just, you know, a TV, I would take that apart. And I would, you know, take a remote control apart and occasionally you'd find like, why something didn't work. Most of the time it never went back together, but it just started showing me that everything in the world all around us is just made up of parts and pieces, right? So, you know, your computer, the glasses, the, you know, any device that you have that has a battery inside of that is made up ultimately of smaller parts. And those parts, sometimes there's lots of the same parts used between devices. So that was always interesting to me. And I thought architecture was the path, the, where it was bigger parts, and those bigger parts and pieces go together in different ways, very similar process. So architecture and engineering, I felt was my calling and realized that it moves at a much slower pace than what I'm good at. All right. Are you guys ready? I have found it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't know I can't wait to see this. I can't. Oh, boy. Here we go. I can't. Oh, oh. how do I take you guys off? Hold on. Oh, hold on. It's not working. Give me a uh, second. All right. <laughs> what was the background before? What is going on? Is it always black? Is it normally no, white? No, no. It's white. Okay. Hold on. There you go. All right. Give me a second. I'm going to work. Man, the, the, uh, the anticipation is just is just wild. Girl. Yeah. Who would have thought that uh, as, as you were uh, probably borderline getting yourself into trouble that uh, you could turn that into your business now and, and, and what you do? Man, that's super cool. Yeah, and it's interesting that even as you grow up, that you know, I lived on Hatteras Island for a good number of years, graduated high school down there. Um, you know, I had restaurant jobs and things like that, but I had this job with a friend, John Latiri. He owned uh, Island Cycles at the time. And just learning that bicycles are parts and pieces, right? And so that builds it up and the tech kind of with that. And, you know, at some point, you know, you get sponsored with stuff. Like I grew up skateboarding. Oh, there it is. Oh, man, that's so good. So that piece of PVC is on this great swivel. Uh, Chip figured out that if you weight these around in different ways, so there's two GoPros, one in the front that Zach's holding like a selfie cam before selfie cams were cool. And the rotating one that just goes around your head. And that thing was, oh God, I'm also going to try and find this video. Do you get, is that on a YouTube somewhere you think the actual promo video? Oh uh, man. I think we're on Vimeo Okay. at the time. That was before YouTube would let us have, they, they were like real short back then. And I, I think Vimeo gave us more control. I don't think the kids these days realize like how difficult I anyone just like generally interested in these things, like how difficult it was 
to get a lot of this stuff out there. And like, you hear these kids now, it's like, oh, it's super easy. I'm like, let me explain to you in 2010, like how difficult any of this stuff was to like get out there from a spacing perspective Mm -hmm. from um, uh, it's just, it's just, oh yes, this makes a lot of sense. However, like I remember someone had pitched something um, and at starting off for three, I think. And it was like, oh yeah, well, that's not going to work because it, it had something to do with like, um, I think the accelerometer on your phone, he was like, Oh, we're not going to let you use. Um, you're not going to be able to text on your phone because we're going to detect uh, how fast you're going and it's not gonna be able to do it. And someone was like, Oh, you can't do that. Cause your phone doesn't allow you to do that. Great idea. Obviously I think they can do that now, but it was basically, I think it was Matt Brewer. Is that name ring a bell? bell? Um mm-hmm. I think that's his name. I remember but, it. but basically it was, hey, instead of texting, you know, your car, your phone knows that you're driving at a speed that is not at a good texting thing. And I think the judges just said, no, this isn't going to work. Like your phone doesn't allow you because there was teching enough people in there. And so, so it's like all these things that make sense now, they're like, oh, duh, type of moments. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, like you couldn't do that back then. Like it was like the technology just wasn't there. And so when people talk about timing, that's really the timing aspect. Right. It's like, hey, like, it's- yeah, and the restrictions, right? Like YouTube, they they started with short form content, right, oh, and then yeah. it grew eventually to ten minutes. And so, if you were doing anything longer, and at that time, right, people were taking movies and videos, and they were slicing them up. You know, here's this movie part one, and it's the first ten minutes. You know, part two, the next ten minutes, and then slowly they added it, and then got completely away from, you know, anything short form content. Really got ignored. It's been interesting to watch as TikTok came up, how that's really progressed backwards in some ways, but given such a focus to it. But we couldn't find any great video stuff. We needed a little bit of control. We wanted to see just some metrics about the audience. So at the time we chose Vimeo, which we had a lot more control there. The only other option was to host videos ourselves, And now you become a video hosting service and bandwidth fees that we looked at were just, just crazy silly from that. I'm pretty sure we're probably still on Vimeo if you look up 757 Makerspace back there, I don't okay. think that we ever pulled that off of there. All right. Well, for better or for worse, you may see some old print. <laughs> yeah. yeah a lot of cool stuff run around crazy. And then, okay. So, so that went through, um, that was okay. So start Norfolk one, you're there, mm-hmm. not chosen as a finalist, if I recall, but still, still do it. I still have a great time. People really mm-hmm. uh, it, it enjoyed you. Uh, and, we, and for the record, we we went in. We didn't pre-build code. We literally worked from the idea. The week before when I met you, um, we had submitted that video. I had come together a week before that with Steve Nelson and with Trevor Lewis. And we kind of like roughly talked about it and Matt Labarge and a few other people that we just kind of talked through. Everybody got together and said, hey, we've got this. There's this event coming up. And anybody has an idea that wants to like test it out, like let's talk through it so we can get more people to submit. Like we wanted more of our friends to be out there to submit for that. So a couple, you know, several people met up, came in, kind of pitched their idea. And, you know, it kind of came time and I shared mine. A couple people were like, that's cool. And so we went to start Norfolk One and literally built from scratch the very first version of that from that Friday to Sunday. That and that whole energy of where you stay like Friday night you pitch, you kind of grab your team, a few other people connect. Um, and we then from that Friday night to Saturday, 
it was fantastic. Like, like the energy of that, it was, it, it's overwhelming in a way that's really good, right? Like other people who are interested in grinding and just getting that stuff done at the time. And so we grinded that stuff out, pushed early, the late at night, early the next day, and then ground all the way through. And on Sunday, we had our first like test play of the game, right? Like go through here, scan these door. We had this weird, there was weird installation because we were working with eight different devices at that time. But man, what a, what a, a cool, fun thing. So we did actually work. Oh, there's, oh my gosh, this is Lori. This was so good. <laughs> Keep talking through this. But so then this is okay, four months later <laughs> at the next Start Norfolk. This is people actually playing the game. So they also took that camera that I'm on. That's me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, this is so good. Yeah. Oh, God. So here we are, you know, left phone, iPhone one, um, as you can see, it does have angry birds on it or whatever that game is. Um, that right. um, flappy bird, that flappy <laughs> bird. Yes. So here I am playing. So it's literally Bo is correct. And, in, in this being Pokemon before Pokemon. Right. And then people are playing the game here. I am with the camera and then. Yeah. So the game works, it counts down, right? Three, two, one. And then it tells you if you're a human or a zombie, if you're a human, you run. If you're a zombie, you chase. The closer you are to the person behind there, you're essentially attacking them, taking down health points, 98, 99, 97, as it gets lower. Later, we added health packs that would drop in the real world. So you'd have to run over here, find it, and it would increase your health. But as a human, if you get to zero, you're a zombie, and now you chase. Is it Jameson? I think I just killed it. It was, and there's Andrea. <laughs> is that, oh, is that you behind great. Is, that? is that you behind there? I can't quite tell. I think it is. Man, Chuck Williams. What am I trying to grow a mullet there? I mean, what, what the hell is the matter with me? But I mean, so this is this is 20, this would be 2012, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's it, it is interesting looking back on this. It's 11 years. Um, obviously, I haven't watched this video since probably that day. Um <laughs> Kim Finley, she looks like she's having a a grand old time as they will. That camera is crazy. <laughs> um, I think this chick gets, um, I think she just starts screaming. If I remember, like, I think someone grabs her. Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> She's terrified. Um, this is fun. But this was start Norfolk too. A lot of fun. Um, which pretty much led into hatch the, Oh wow. You, you killed her. You like took her straight down. Um, <laughs> That, that was there there was a lot of energy there so tim you were at that or no i was not i think the first one i went to was three okay um yeah kind of the first hackathon style of thing in the area um was in 11 then four months later did this uh the first one we had all those speaker uh all the uh well i guess we had a couple speakers and then we had mm -hmm. um some musicians and then uh this one we had um Ton no, of speakers. I think, how is it two? I, yeah. I don't know. And a good keg. Many. Several. Yeah. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah. Was, the energy of that, like I, you know, just, just looking back, right? Eleven years later, man, what a what a pivotal thing to have in in the city that you know and the city that you love around people that you like you've done work with and you've done some stuff, but never to that level where people are just like like having fun with everything. The speakers were wonderful that were there. I, you know, I don't know if you get enough credit for, for setting the stage for tech to feel comfortable around each other, to try stuff, experiment stuff, 
and feel comfortable to fail in different ways, right? Like before that, if you if you failed, you got it meant that you were fired from wherever you were, and people would move away, leave to go do tech in other spots. I think you opened a world where people can experiment and try stuff, and you know, take a little bit of risk, and that really shaped a lot around here. Yeah, yeah, because as I think through this, all that stuff was taking place, and then when it came time for like the annual awards, I think that was the only time that CIT did that. <laughs> several people were nominated. Yeah, yeah Several yeah. people won. Top 50 uh, Virginia award or whatever. Top, yeah. That's what it was. The gap. Yeah. Top 50 gap fund award. Yeah. Uh, and I, th so then whole, several of us just all, we, we carpooled up North to Northern <laughs> Virginia. To a, you, what do they call that? An excursion? An excursion. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who was in that? Okay, so it's the three of us. Keith, that's four. Um, yeah, Kristen. Uh, Kristen was Brittany yeah. in that car. And yes, then, and then yeah, yeah. and then mm -hmm. homeboy Glenn. And Glenn, is yeah. that it? Glenn was my roomie on that trip. Who us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the first time I had a chance to actually hang out with Glenn. So that was really cool. Yeah, and and so like it was. I remember there was just I didn't. That was my first time meeting a lot of you. And next thing you know, uh, Zach, it may have been uh, initiated by you or like everyone needs to pitch a business idea, total impromptu, who wants to go first? And, uh, and, and, and you pitched 757 Makerspace, if I, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah. And that came about, right? Like my, it started off just, we had all this tech stuff, right? So we had 3D printers that, you know, it's kind of always had around from architecture and stuff, but using those, those mounts that we used or that were in the, you know, the, the GoPro stuff, any other accessory that we needed, we would just model those, make those and print them on the 3D printer. So having that kind of tech stuff around was just par for the course and realizing that not a lot of people had access to that stuff. And my kid's school was doing a fundraiser. They had asked for $1,500 for a 3D printer. And so, you know, I went and met with the school and was thinking about writing a check for that. And then I just asked three questions and those were, uh, you know, how are the kids going to use this? Like, who's going to manage it? Is it the librarian? Is it IT? Uh, and where's it going to live so those kids can access it? And they didn't have an answer for that. And so one 3D printer for, you know, a, a couple hundred, a couple thousand kids, you know, at school just didn't seem like it was going to move the needle in any meaningful way. So I walked out of there and just started thinking, you know, what could change this? What does that look like? And the idea just started kind of marinating right from there. We went to the was it Jeff uh, NASA Langley had a great open house at that time where you walk in, you get a chance to you know see all the tech that they have, talk with their people, and we had this exchange with my oldest son at the time that he walked up. There's this gatekeeper gentleman that was there. You know, he, it's Saturday morning. He's standing here like this, and he's got a 3D printer to the side, no coffee, but he's the first person you go through to get you know your experience here and get welcome. And so you know, Dylan runs up at the time. He goes, "Oh, you know, you got a 3D printer." And, the story a few times, but you know, the guy stopped and he goes, Well, you probably don't even know what a 3D printer is. So he goes, I've got one in my living room. And so they have this exchange that it starts off just adversarial, right? It's it's one person saying something, the other person volleying that back and forth. And the engineer stops and he looks at Dylan, he goes, Well, what did you learn? Dylan goes, Oh, I built this box to go around it. It holds the heat in my 3D printer. I don't have to worry about my 3D prints messing up as bad. And the guy goes, you know, we spent a billion dollars to figure the same thing out. And at that point, <laughs> They broke through this, this whatever the, the, the barrier that was causing this, and they started doing this. They talked about software. They talked about the design. And it wasn't the old man imparting wisdom on the young child. 
it was bi-directional where they both got value out of that. And so, you know, it turns out that was 20 minutes and there's this line of people still waiting behind us. So we go inside, but those couple things just left this mark in there that what can we do for our community to make an impact? Realizing the energy coming from start Norfolk of like people growing, people trying things, people being interested in stuff and, you know, taking that risk. And it just got the wheels turning that maybe there's, there's a better way that, that we can give accessibility for tools, equipment, ideas and a community to be able to build and grow around that. And that was, that was, a, you know, that was in its real infancy when I pitched that as we were driving down the road. And then the second pitch to that was over dinner when, you know, somebody was, I can't remember what it was, but a very similar thing. We're like, all right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, what people want to do. And that was my second pitch where I was like, this is, I think this could actually work, you know, just, just kind of testing those waters out. And, you know, when you present something early on, it's a real, um, it, it's a, it's like your baby, right? Like, like it's something that you want to hold near and dear. And sometimes you could be afraid to share that and show it because it can get shot down too quick, too easy, or someone that doesn't understand because you're doing something that just hasn't been done yet. So it's uh, having this group around built a little more confidence to that and being able to share that in an environment that, that wasn't, you know, inclusive with everybody. There, there was no, that's a really dumb idea. Why would you do that? You know, or here's all the reasons it's going to fail. It was, it was nurturing. Right. And so it, it built that and helped to grow it and to form that. So those two first pitches that that really just kind of stuck in the back of my head from that. point. Yeah. And you, dude, things have just been rolling ever since. I mean, you got you guys have crazy stuff going on in in your different locations. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the, the locations or whatever. But like, so what are some standout things that people have made in your makerspace? I mean, to me. Zach, last time I was in there, man, there's a school bus and people are converting school buses into tiny homes, man. I mean, it's just banana stuff. But what, what are some standout projects that people? Yeah, have? So, as I say this, right, like I glance across and think or even like this morning, every time I walk in, when you open that door at the space one, uh, we have two locations right now, uh, one in Norfolk, one in Hampton, the Norfolk location there. When you pull up or just get close to us, right, we're on 24th Street right next to O'Connor's across from Coalescence Coffee. Um, so wonderful bookends there, but we've got murals all the way around the building. So it already looks, you know, kind of out of control. When you open the door to come inside, you're right. There's been 10 school buses that people have converted to tiny houses. There's been eight sprinter vans that people have converted to do van life and you know, drive across the country. Uh, one Winnebago rebuild, one thing from the ground up for a full tiny house. But there's everything. There's wood shops. There's metal shops. There's businesses and startups that launch here that need to build physical items. There's partnerships that people make to be able to grow. We're running about in Norfolk, I think we're about 120 people as far as members here, just out of this space. And they get access to all the tools and equipment that are here. So, you know, a few other standout projects are, there's been a rocket bike that was made where a guy literally built rockets to go on a bicycle for that. Um, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Well, even the crazy stuff, man, from a 3D printing standpoint, I mean, like, uh, there's some, some cool innovation going on. I mean, like the, I don't know, in the uh, North or uh, Hampton location, there was like a, like the vertebrae type of uh, like dragon or something, lizard or something, man. It was pretty, who knew? Yeah, well, we've got, so, you know, there's, there's two different, there's multiple different types of printers out there, but 3D printers have gotten really cheap in different ways for regular FDM, that's fused deposition modeling. That's the fancy way of saying, right, material comes in, it heats up and it moves around, typically in a three axis, four backwards, left, right, up or down. 
and it'll make those layers to be able to build stuff. They've got bigger ones. Like we got printers that if you want to make a helmet, you can make a helmet in, in one single print and pull that part off. But then when you're ready to refine that, we've got liquid resin printers, right? So Form Labs and other companies make wonderful products. We provide those. It has a little bit higher cost than the prototype FDM. But when you're ready to show your part, if it's a medical device you're working on or a housing or a part that needs to be flexible or it needs to be more rigid, that 3D printer changes the ball game because now I have access to so many more materials. And so it's so much better as far as quality goes. You don't see those lines. You don't see those layers. So your parts look finished. They look professional to be able to show off, especially if you're early stage prototyping and you, you know, you're making your first couple devices or your first couple hundred. The, the cost to entry comes low. It now makes it accessible where you can work with these tools. And your stuff, when you bring it out, you don't have to be ashamed because it looks like a standard home 3D print. Now you've got a high level printer when you're ready to be able to use that. And that's just you know one set of tools that are there. Why the expansion? <clears throat> oh gosh, um, let's see. So co during COVID and leading up to that, so the space has been in operation um, at that. So later, you know, part of the story we're skipping is at one of the points in Start Norfolk, we, we showed up and then five minutes before I went on stage, I just, that, that idea of just the makerspace kept coming up. And so I turned to my business partners, uh, Steve and Trevor, and we've been working on this for a, you know, a number of years at this point, right? So I just kind of turned and just shared with them like, hey, I've got this other idea. And, and I was kind of keep like, I, I presented it on that trip. I shared it to a couple folks. I hadn't actually shared it with either of them yet. And so five minutes before we go on stage to pitch on a Friday, I, I turned to them, shared that, and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, right? Like, clearly, they're going to say, we've, we've, we've done all this. There's no way. What are you doing? That's crazy. Instead, they were nurturing as well. They're like, that's what you want to do. Let's go for it. We're behind you. What were you going to pitch instead? Uh, the next iteration of Zombie Tag. I don't think I ever knew that story. Yeah. I, no. I didn't tell you that far, right? Like, and also, it really happened organically. I'm like, I'm not kidding. It was five minutes. And at that start, Norfolk, you didn't actually have – it was – when you ran up to the front, you got your name and whatever that list was. It wasn't like a, you know, put your stuff, we'll organize it for you. It was kind of a free for all. And so, you know, I ran up there, got my name in, and then we're like, all right, you're, you know, you're presenting three people from now. All right. And there was a lot of people at that one. I think that was, there was a lot of people. I think that and was like 400, 500 people, something ridiculous over that weekend. It, yeah. It was, it was also fantastic, right? It, it was a little more that energy and chaos that comes out of that. Like that's, it had more of that energy to it. Like it just kept growing year, year over year in different ways. Like it's not a formula that's easy to replicate, but this was one that kept building and growing. And, you know, Steve and Trevor were behind it. And so, you know, I got on stage and I, uh, I tried everything I could, right? Because at that point, you're in a, also in a competition. So it's not just, here's from my heart. Here's what I want to do. You're also trying to get money. You're trying to get resources. You're kind of pitching this idea. And so, you know, I, I had some really bad news early on that day. I just kind of went up there and was just like, Ian, like, let's, what do we have to lose if we're going to take risks? You know, we've done this a couple of times. We've made something that's interesting, but, you know, what's really going to move that needle? And I felt like this was an opportunity to really move that needle. Like at the previous, you know, startup, um, you know, tech startup things that we had done for Start Norfolk, we started bringing our 3D printer because we needed it to make parts and accessories for things that we were doing. We started bringing other tech. So our table just kept growing as far as tech. And when people were working on their ideas, they would come over and ask, hey, can we 3D print stuff on this, you know, in the downtime because we need it for our product. So it was kind of building and growing in the market. Looking back, all that stuff tells us that 
the market's there. People are asking for this stuff. People need that. And I, it, going back to like the, you know, a home approach. At my house, I've got a lawnmower. My neighbor's got a lawnmower. My other neighbor's got a lawnmower. The neighbors across the street all have lawnmowers. We all have essentially the same starter kit of tools. And, you know, they get used very infrequently. And what if we had a shared resource? That lawnmower, maybe there's just a couple lawnmowers that we all have access to. Maybe they're better lawnmowers. Uh, maybe things will last longer. But also, maybe we get a lot more tools. So I didn't think the tool lending library was the direction that I wanted to go. But the makerspace really seemed to solve that. So, you know, how, how and why we got to that was it just, you know, we pitched there. Uh, and we just kind of kept going ever since. So COVID hit. And we kind of had our highest number. We were getting one thing that I never expected out of the makerspace. And, I, you know, we can go back. I'm sure you guys have other questions in between. But one of the things that was interesting to me is the makerspace became a tour destination. We have people that fly here specifically to see the makerspace or they're here on vacation. And part of their 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 vacation plan is to come by and just take a tour. You know, people from Dallas, people from Portland, people from Canada, uh, people from overseas, people all over the country. They drive here, they fly here, they're vacationing in Virginia Beach, they're vacationing in Ocean View here in Norfolk, and they make a point of that to come by and visit. So we never realized there would be a tourism destination part of the makerspace. But the other thing we didn't realize was how impactful that would be locally, but regionally. We started having people come down you know, from Richmond. We started having people come down from D.C., from Northern Virginia. We started having people come down from Maryland, and they would get memberships, and they would come here on the weekends or every other weekend work on their product idea and then drive back, right? So if they're willing to make that distance in that trip and everybody that lives in this area knows that the tunnel traffic can, you can take a 20 minute trip and turn it into two hours or more real quickly. And so people started getting hit with that. Um, backing up just a little bit, we had done this event in the past called Maker Fair. And so the Hampton Roads Maker Fair was something we had started originally with some other folks um, and also through 757 Labs way back when um, as a group of people, we just kind of continued doing that. And the opportunity came for, I think it was the 100 year anniversary for NASA. And so we partnered with NASA to be able to put that on. And so we did that over in Hampton. We met some wonderful people out of that. We met uh, Yaz, Mike Yazowski, uh, and other Hampton folks to be able to put that on. So that was really my first exposure. Prior to that, I'd only worked around people here at Norfolk Economic Development, which they had a wonderful team of folks there uh, and over the years as well. From that, you know, I got to meet a few people in Hampton, but, you know, that kind of left it. There's a few other key people at NASA that have become, um, you know, over the years, sometimes you never realize how impactful somebody is until over the years you start working together and realize, like, how well you work together. So fast forward a little bit. We were looking at, you know, what could we do? I got a call from um, from Chuck Rigney and Chuck and Dan uh, from Economic Development in Hampton at the time. And, yes, yeah, just said, hey, like. We're kind of we're playing with this idea. We're seeing a need for uh, for something creative. We got a couple of options. You know, mind if we just sit down and chat? And we just we just sat down and chatted, and we just kind of kept chatting. And it, it this was over the course of a little while. And we've always gone with the approach that we'll grow organically and we'll grow without taking on a lot of debt, without taking on um, outside capital where we needed. And we also didn't chase grants at the time. And you know, the reason that we didn't want to do that is as a growing infant business. We saw too many nonprofits or other or other places that were dependent upon those grants. If those grants went away or something changed or their mission changed and wasn't no longer in alignment with that, that, you know, essentially they have to close the doors. So it was a that wasn't the direction we wanted to go. So we were planning to, you know, if we were to do this, 
what could we do? And we would just, you know, grow like we grew. At the, that one start Norfolk where we pitched it, that Monday, we had $4,000 operating capital because we pre-sold four memberships. And we just put that into the business and kept rolling. So every two weeks, and the space was really sparse in the beginning. It's been, you know, almost a decade now, you know, with, with everything or nine years that, that we've had this. So we've got a lot more tools and equipment that have built up. So Hampton came about because of that, that conversation and looking at, you know, people come from far away, but also how better can we service another area? We don't have to have the exact same space. We can have a little bit of overlap, but what tools do they need? And we, we looked at lots of different places in there. We looked in the Hampton city itself. We looked in Phoebus. There's some wonderful, but I love the feel of Phoebus. Uh, and then Fort Monroe just being adjacent to Phoebus, you just kind of looked over there. And Glenn Yoder and his crew with the Fort Monroe Authority, man, they they rolled off the red carpet in ways that, that you know, just gave us a wonderful opportunity and something that we couldn't say no to in, in such a gorgeous location. So we went ahead and added that space and we, we treat it as one membership. You know, you come in, if there's a specific tool that you need that's at one spot that's not at the other, you go to wherever that is. And for artists and creatives, you, know, you get 24-7 access to this stuff. So if there's a tool yeah. you need or maybe you have a non-stated schedule, we work with everybody. And if you don't know how to use this stuff, we'll teach you enough to be dangerous. Well, when are you going to become a politician? Because, I mean, that was like a politician speech 101. I mean, like you named <laughs> yeah. everyone, super positive. I mean, that like... I'm definitely not in the politician side for that. But I will tell you, great partners make all the difference, right? Uh, we had met Chuck. We were originally going to do our first expansion. And this was Lisa Fournier and myself. We're, we had kind of toyed with this idea of like, what's a trainer lab and a coffee shop and a makerspace, like a small offshoot where... People can come in, get their coffee, get their food, um, you know, maybe 3D print something, take a class, and you can see into that classroom as you're getting your stuff. And we looked at Portsmouth as our first option. Chuck had just moved at that time from there. Uh, somewhere in there, he was over in Portsmouth for a period of time. And we looked at that. And then later, uh, Portsmouth went through, uh, we'll say, an economic situation that, that wasn't very favorable. So we kind of pulled out. But it began that relationship with Chuck. Started in Norfolk, went to Portsmouth. Politician, yeah. economic. Yeah. What you meant Which was they added tolls. Uh, it was. I think it was more than added tolls. They had economic, economic politicians. They had a they had a politician challenge as well, or political challenge. So what you're saying is your next location is Virginia Beach. Um, you know, it's there's there's always the opportunity. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of things just from the last twenty minutes of you talking about all that. Okay, so start Norfolk three. That's what, that was when I was a janitor. I don't know if you guys remember I, that. I, I, have, I have pictures of that. You mopping uh, the floor, yeah. I was a janitor then. Um, I didn't think about this until just now, but um, three companies three companies that I can think of that pitched at Start Norfolk 3 without looking at anything. So you got 757 Makerspace. That wasn't supposed to be pitched, by the way. Apparently, it was supposed to be a second-generation zombie tag challenge. Um, seven Cups. Of tea at the time yeah. now just seven yeah. cups and, and carry norfolk, norfolk right? yeah uh as well which um is helping the logistics end of quite a large mattress company as well so pretty interesting that 10 years ago those three companies did that i'm pretty sure all three are still doing something at least so that's that's, that's pretty cool yeah. um it's interesting and i don't know how you feel about this tim but like uh, Tim makes a or Tim uh, Bo makes a really interesting point. It's like people are using their lawnmower one hour a week. 
Like there's a lot of like wasted time on that. Oh, like for sure. are is there a business that does that? That's like community that has like stuff from uh, from that perspective with lawnmowers and stuff like that? Like I don't have know. You, man. Either have you seen I, that? I know I that's one thing that it would always kill me. Uh like we live on a cul-de-sac and it's like, man, when I see like Same. trucks come and drop off mulch one house at a time, it's like, man everybody coordinate get like one dump truck of mulch and everyone just grab their share i mean and then you get it at volume mm-hmm. and uh but yeah no it's a ton of wasted resources i want to say there was i think there was a start peninsula company that was toying with the idea of like some sort of shared resource from lawn equipment but i can't remember whatever happened with that hmm. yeah i think people have tried apps where the users keep their stuff or like if you've got a kayak you've got a lawnmower and you know people want to borrow that like you get credits there's been pool lending libraries that are out there. There's been community centers. More recently, libraries are really stepping up in different ways, right? Like you mentioned Virginia Beach. If you want to rent a surfboard, you can go to the library. They'll rent you a surfboard. Um, you, or essentially, you can check out a surfboard. You can check out a sewing machine. You can check out a 3D printer. Like all of these things become resources, right? Norfolk's got a list of equipment. If you want to grab a telescope, you can go get a telescope at the library and just check that thing out. So. Wow. Tools are different, not necessarily gardening tools per se, but I'm sure that there's libraries that do some of that stuff. And libraries are a great community center. They are a stronghold of, of where people go and you're used to, you know, it's considered a city resource. So no matter where your finances are, they've got a path for you to, to be inside of there. Yeah. I always tell people about libraries. I said, at least, at least the Norfolk library, which is accessible to any, I think anyone in the region, maybe even Virginia, um, they have free access to audiobooks too via Overdrive and uh, Hoopla. Libby? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least those two. What's the one that you said, Libby? Libby is, is another one, but it, yeah, it could, it could, it they could have that too. Um, but there's a ton of books that are available there for free. You get eight a month. I, I mean, you don't even have to have an Audible account. Um, so that's pretty rad in that aspect of it. Um, so you see where your name is, where it says Bo Turner at seven five seven Makerspace. Can can yep. you change that to say Bo Turner politician? Because um, you are yeah, really good at this. Well, like, no, I, I think the, the funniest thing, man, that I uh, that I laugh is, you know, Bo just as we've just, uh, discussed, Bo's tinkering and like just makes things happen, and then he's on Fort Monroe now, and you know, Fort Monroe and is Fort Monroe is. The one of the most gorgeous spots in our area for the, anybody that has not been there, go check out Fort Monroe. It is it's yeah. beautiful. It's yeah, it's a cool tour. But it's oh, really, man. really cool. But with that, it's a historic site. So you can't make modifications and like Bo's middle name is modification, you know. So like they move into oh. the space, you know, and, and uh they they were testing the boundaries uh, pretty was there electricity yeah. there? <laughs> uh, a, a historic a historic military building and historic grounds that have uh, varying levels of things that they have requirements and statutes that they want to stick to. So it keeps the visual look and elements. So for anybody that's been near, near our Norfolk space, there's murals and our murals change. Like from one, we've had people that have come into the building for a tour and when they leave, there's a new mural up on the building, right? Like <laughs> things do change pretty regularly. We have specific walls. There's, there's fine artists that are inside of the space. There's people that are just getting started. There's crocheters, there's machinists, there's fabricators, there's welders, uh, there's people that want to work in the wood shop. It's, it's an interesting mix of people. And how do you show that visual element outside of where you're at that it is truly a creative space for all kinds of people, right? So ultimately we help makers to make and create. And so I provide the stadium 
and the, the equipment for them to be able to use if they know how to use it. And if they don't, we'll teach them to do it. But in a historic property, they don't want to see murals, you know, all around the outside of that building. And rightfully so. I mean, it's, there's a certain character that they're trying to maintain and hold that. So for us as a creative space, one of the, the ways that we knew something was happening in the right way was when we first got there, um, we had essentially one month to turn this building usable. It sat vacant for about 11 and a half years at that point. Uh, the Fort Monroe Authority had done some things to prep this building and get it ready for us, um, including things like just they had to replace emergency-wise the HVAC, um, so heating and air conditioning, just weren't working in there. And we didn't find that out until later. They they moved, they did some magic to be able to make these kind of things happen. So we had one month to turn it. So the first thing we did was go in, get everything cleared out. And we had so many volunteers that wonderfully came by and gave their time to prep the space. So all of a sudden, from the outside, a building that sat vacant, that you know, people that lived there or drove through, there was color. The lights were on. Every time they would peek in the windows, there was colors appearing everywhere. And so we prepped that building really quick. So if you get a chance, it's a lot more, um, it's different than the Norfolk space. You can't drive a bus in here. It's more like converted office space or commercial space. Um, but by having both of these, there's a time and a place that you want one and the other the tools and equipment vary between the locations. But, you know, what a wonderful location. But, but we do have some restrictions that go with that. You know, you'll start to see a little bit of art on the outside of the building. Uh, we did one of our first panels with a uh, super talented artist in the area named D. Kane at the letter D, K-A-N-E. He, he's a contemporary artist. You might have seen his works in black and white with different shapes. They're all over Hampton Roads. He's done, you know, buildings. He's done buses. He's done schools. He's done shirts, merchandise. He's in coffee now. Uh, his work is also in the Smithsonian. And he is one of the most humble artists that you've met and super kind. He did a panel for us. It's a four foot by eight foot. And we designed panels to go on the outside of the building instead of painting directly onto the brick or anything like that so that later we can keep adding art around. Uh, we figured color would probably be one of the, the, the immediate no-nos with that. But we, we did have some discussion around even being able to hang you know, black and white art from a local artist over there with that. But you know that, that, that piece is still up and we're looking forward to having more pieces around there that also fit the taste and feel of a historic site. But well, one of the, we, uh, we do uh, like testing those bounds. One of the cool things about how you laid out the Hampton location is uh, going from left to right in this space. It's quiet. And then as you move through the space, it gets louder and louder and louder. Mm -hmm. So if you want a cubicle to rent and work, you have that. But then if as you move through the space, the machinery gets bigger and, and louder. And it's, it's pretty cool how you set that up. Thanks. Yeah, the sound break in that just it really kind of evolved. And we started thinking that when people first come in, the first thing they, they, they kind of have an idea of what they want to do. So I can tell you where you're going to be in the building based on is it noisy or smelly, right? So if it's noisy and smelly, you're in the far end in the orange room. If you've got something kind of in between, you're going to be in the blue room. And if you need quiet space, you're going to be on this end of the building. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. As I'm, I'm listening, this is like the definition of uh, F around and find out. I mean, like that is uh, that that's a cool space that you have and, and people have uh, done some super cool stuff. Yeah, and it's it really a safe space background. to be able to do that. So, yeah. you know, for example, like we've done a lot of Burning Man related projects as well, right? So one that a lot of people have probably seen pictures of is what's called the Happy Birthday Mega Cake. It's a 55 foot tall birthday cake that had poofers on the top that would shoot flames. Essentially it was pre-built like Ikea furniture. Uh, part of it was built and then taken down to Florida. 
The other part was built and then taken over to the Hermitage for a short duration when they had the Art of Burning Man exhibit going on. And then it all got packed into a 57-foot shipping container. This was, you know, two years of work. Volunteers came in, gave their time to be able to help and build stuff. They learned how to use the tools in here safely. And it provided an environment to be able to build this and grow a team, go out to Burning Man, build this. And you've got a world-class stage of art. There's 80,000 people that are out at Burning Man. There's at least 30,000 people that were around this. But all week, people had an opportunity to come there, participate, right? So it's a safe thing to try something new that hasn't been done. You get to meet other people. And, you know, what? one of the stories that comes around here, when people come in, other people are happy to give tours here at this space besides their scheduled one. And what they usually say when a person goes, well, can I do this? The first thing they say is Bo's an enabler, right? So the answer is yes. Like, let's, yes, and let's figure out how to do that. So if it's a set of skills you're missing or you need a space to be able to do that, like, what is it you want to do? And we'll figure out how to get there. You know, the Meg case is another great example of that. What is, um, okay, so we talked about 2011 timeframe, it's 2023. What is your, you know, what what is the state of the region the in your world? Like, has it changed? Is it the same? What, what, what needs to be improved? Like, what, where, where do you kind of, where do you see all that? Yeah. Um, gosh, and you were, doing, well. you were doing stuff a lot before too. So like, mm -hmm. you know, just the progression over the years, like, what, what is the state yeah, of the region I, in your world, you say? So I, I'd say the state of the maker or creative region, right? That I think tech and businesses had had an advance. Um, they got some time and attention to help grow and foster that. And the next round is, you know, the, the abandoned spaces that we had around town, they become a great haven for art and creativity, right? Like it's the same in any city. When you've got spaces that are cheap enough that artists can move there, because they're taking a risk. They're trying something. They need it as cheap as possible to be able to put their money into doing whatever that art or that form is. It's really no different than startups and tech. And so I've always kind of seen this blend of that, having a space that people can come here and call home. We've had people that they moved here from New York or they came down here to visit. And on day three, they decide they're moving here and they've been working out of the space ever since. So they've built a business and grown that now. They're now starting to look at what is their next phase. The ultimate success for us, what, what I think is, is great, and we've had so many stories over the years of people that have come into the space, and because we're a transient community, they've moved on, right? It's military, it's colleges, um, it's just you know kind of life in general that people move in different spots. They've taken from their time here and either joined makerspaces or met folks. That uh, I've got this great example. If you guys remember Ben Miller, right? So you know Ben took off at the time to Japan, and he had been in the space and around the space for a little while. There's another gentleman, Nico, that completely separate. This is years apart from those guys. Uh, Nico was here with his kids in the military. Later, you know, he, he said goodbye. They were leaving. Didn't really say where. I get a text at 3 o'clock in the morning with Ben and Nico arm in arm at a bar, right? Like, they, they ran into each other. And they were talking about, oh, yeah, you know, it's this, this, you know, creativity and space and innovation. You know, I, I kind of did this. And Ben talked in generalities. And then. Nico shared a story in generalities that, you know, he was at the space and these kids know, like, Hey, where's your space at? And they're like, Oh, in Norfolk. He's like, what's it called? Hmm. And this, these guys had never crossed. Now they're in Japan on an Island, in the middle of nowhere. And they meet and they talk, right? Like what an interesting thing to see. And there's stuff like that, that those threads get pulled all over. So what is the state of the region? I think stuff extends beyond here. 
it grows, um, we get more businesses that start to form or create or prototype those ideas out of the space here now, right? In the beginning, it was more artists. And now we've got more businesses that form out of that art or that creativity. So giving people a stadium and a home base to be able to build out of. And for us, the ultimate sign of success is it's like a reverse funnel. It's what we call graduation day. When a business is formed and they have employees inside of here and they grow too big to be inside the space and they grow up and they grow out, and they take over these other warehouses. I'm looking outside my window now and I can tell you a couple of businesses that have formed from the space that are occupying these other locations here. That, that to me is an ultimate sign of success. That is a smaller, it's that reverse funnel, right? It's a smaller number of companies that grow to that level, but the other ones that tried that risked it, you know, maybe it wasn't the right idea at the time. Maybe they're onto something else. We've had the advantage now to look back at, you know, 10, 11 plus years of just us working together and see that even people who had an idea, giving them a safe place to take that risk, to fail and try and, and fail forward in an environment that you're not a failure, that part just didn't work. It's not a big deal. They've created, many of those have gone on to create other businesses and those businesses have been successful. That so was always we're seeing a lot more of that. That, that. I mean, that was always the mindset behind the 1004 numbers. It's like, hey, like just create a crap ton of businesses, hope that they get to a little bit of size and then some of them will expand. Um, but all of those, you know, it, it's so hard to create juggernauts or what do they call them? Unicorns. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll call them juggernauts, you know, it, but if you can just create a thousand of these little businesses that are like super supportive, there's like this community, there's this championship around there. There's something special uh, uh, to that. And uh, it's cool to hear uh, that, that story with you. And, and sounds like you've got your own little 1004 model going on um, from, from those people and, and, and seeing people do that. And some work, some don't. Guess what? That's called business. That's called life. You know, like uh, it is what it is. Like, <laughs> And sometimes people also need like, you know, Timmy brought up the, the fuck around and find out, right? Like the it doesn't have to be a business inside of here. Sometimes you just need a place to be able to go to work on it. Like some yeah. people have garage space that they kick back. You know, they're they're doing wood projects when they need it. But sometimes that barrier to like to buy the tools that you need to buy those other things, you can just do that here. You come in, you yeah. pay a fee, you get access to everything, and you might just do that for a month. So we do memberships. You got monthly membership, you got quarterly memberships, you got yearly. There's price breaks with those. They're all 24-7. You can bring guests, you can bring your partner, you can bring your kids. You just can't leave your kids behind for the weekend. But you know, our kids' classes here are great. The other class we have, you just want to mess around and find out with stuff. Or sometimes you just need that. That break, if you're stressed working on something else or, or you're working with this business problem, coming in here to be able to, to just do something different can break that brain free. So it's a good spot to yeah. explore that creativity. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I think one of the takeaways, I guess, from this show, which is great, is you cannot you can't fake. I mean, there it is just organic. I mean, like there there's you just that's just something you can't fake. So the companies that are part of it, whether if it's Hatch, whether if it's you know, makerspace or through start Norvik or whatever the case is. I mean, I mean, it's just like the authenticity of everything is really cool. You know, we're like, you, you're not worried about how nice the space looks per se. You'd rather take that revenue and, and buy another 3d printer or another, uh, you know, some sort of piece of hardware that people can use. And that was a, that's cool. I mean, that's just something that can't. Yeah. Be I mean, I'll tell you, we would have failed if you have just given me a million dollars, let's say there's a million dollars in Zach, you know, we win and start Norfolk and you give that out to us. If we'd have had that and we bought, you know, and we got a research level, perfect white walls, everything's dead clean, like, like perfect. And we bought all this equipment. 
we'd have bought the wrong equipment. The market would have changed. That building would have sat vacant. So by building up the character of that, like our first building, crazy character. That, that, that ended up being the old trolley maintenance building for the city of Norfolk. 40 foot high, crazy high areas. You know, the second building we had, the first silver I love plate. That build. I, love that build. I love that yeah, building. Yeah, there's cool stuff like that. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's neat history. And if, if, we if we hadn't have done it the way we did, I don't know that, that our character, the, the things that define this space and the culture that gets created around it, would not have formed in this way. Instead of us dictating it, our culture formed because of the community. Well, there's something that I think is always interesting when you ask someone like who might be raising money or, or is looking for, for some sort of uh, cash infusion. You just say, hey, can you give me a breakdown of how you want to spend that? And a lot of times yeah. they don't even know how to spend the money that yeah. they're looking for. Uh, I would think yeah. of my conversations, 98% of people wouldn't have an actual answer to that. They just say, oh, I need you know $50,000 for what? Well, yeah, and, and but I think that's true, right? You know, was Hatch the prettiest place? Like, no, but also like didn't want it to be, right? You know, at Makerspace, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's rough spaces and they're great for things like that. But there's yeah, something uh, special to that. Yeah, and also kind of knowing, like you might come in and think, like we had a company we we're working with recently. They they do synthetic biology, basically. And they were like, they were sharing what it is they need. And, like, we need a million dollars in order to do this. Well, what is it you need? What kind of equipment are you trying to get? And, and what does that equipment need to do? And talking with a few other people, they got this thing down to for less than $60,000, you can buy this piece of equipment here, this piece, this piece, and this piece and get up and running, right? Like that, that barrier to entry. And sometimes you just, you get stuck thinking, you know, I, I have to have this top of line machine that has to be brand new for stuff to be able to work. And that's not really always the case. Did you ever yeah. meet Mike Fleck, either of you? No, not yet. Mm-mm. Okay, well, he doesn't live here anymore. I think he lives in Denver. But something that he always told me early on, he was here for like a year. No, you've met him, Bo, because he he rolled through Hatch. Uh, the name sounds familiar. I remember slightly. Go on. He, I think he worked at a company or had a company called Cypher Point Software, something like that. Anyway, he yeah. said something like, my best entrepreneurial advice is just don't spend, for everything that you do, don't spend more than $100 on it. Always figure out a way to do it at $100, $100 or less, right? And so... Don't, don't worry about the $10,000 thing here. Figure out how to get it to $100. I'm not saying you don't need these things, but $100, $100, $100. And it was like, oh, that's really interesting. So then you start thinking, okay, like I can more bootstrap style this thing at that. He's like, okay, you know, the lawyer's telling you this thing's going to cost $10,000. We'll figure out how to get it to $100, right? Yeah. Do you really need all those things? Do you really need this? Do you really need that? And as, time, as time passes, you may you realize that you probably didn't even need it to begin with. Because you don't need to buy that right. camera. All you got to do is borrow someone's or, or, yeah. go or, or it was the wrong piece of equipment anyways. And if you could rent that from somebody else or rent their time or, or use their service instead, and like if that was the wrong thing, you just save yourself a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't need an office. You could use the library. You could ask your friend. You could do like, there are so many ways to get frugal with it. And I think people just like, there's this like, um, luxury thing that people think entrepreneurship is and i think yeah maybe there is some aspect of that but like i think you can there's something special in the being frugal aspect of figuring out that luxury aspect and 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 having fun and getting gritty with it um put that on a shirt not jiggy with it get gritty with it um it's a good shirt um we'll screen print it that's right okay um what 
Yeah, I just think, yeah, it, you don't have to spend a lot of money to, to figure things out, I guess, is the moral of that. Yeah. yeah Real quick, true. you're super generous with your time. Thank you, Bo. But uh, touch on the Space Cadets, because I think that's super. One, it's a super cool name. And two, uh, yeah, touch on that for the audience. Yeah, so uh, so, so ultimately, if, if you got anything around kids, right, like, that's, that's really my soft spot. Like, I grew up as a kid that I went to the library. I borrowed the books from the bookmobile. Like I read all the time, any of the science stuff, like that stuff, that was critical to me. So I think the cheapest path that we have to fixing our future is by investing in kids. And there's lots of different ways to do that. What I've, what I've secretly done is I've had the adults fund all of this stuff so that I can work with kids in lots of different ways. And one of the first programs that we have is this thing called Makerspace Cadets. Um, and this came about in the conversation, or uh, Makerspace Cadets came out with a conversation with uh, one of my co-founders originally, Trevor Lewis. And we just thought it was funny to call kids space cadets. And so that became our makerspace cadets program. Um, you know, we would do this program every Saturday with COVID. We stopped that. We're now getting back um, with the school year of what that looks like. But we've worked with lots of local schools to put makerspaces and programs in their schools as well. Because kids need these kind of things. Like, it's really important that they have access to this kind of stuff and these resources. So our makerspace cadets program is typically for kids that are seven and higher and it gets them exposed to all the different tools. They'll learn how to work with these things here safely. And their inquisitive nature of, you know, picking up something and asking like, what is this thing? Or, or how do I work with this? They'll feel comfortable like touching those things in a tactile environment that they can do that kind of stuff safely. Mm. All growing up shop class was always my favorite class. So. Right? Yeah. And I miss that stuff and schools don't have it. Those, those are taken away. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they started to morph now, right? Like, you don't find schools that have table saws anymore. There's, you know, all, all of these different tools that we had access to kind of went away. They're coming back in a slightly different way, right? If you imagine uh, home ec, that a lot of those programs went away, financial literacy that went away, they're finding ways to start bringing these things so back. real life skills? Because yeah, you're going to cook the rest of your life? You're going you're, you're gonna to need to le learn how to use money. You're going to le learn how to use a lawnmower. Really? That's really dumb. Way to go, school systems. Well, you know, the, there's a time and a place for SOLs, but those real life skills that help people to change their situation, those are things that shouldn't be overlooked. Places like the library, other resources are out there. Take advantage of every one of those things that you've got. I learned many things today. Thank you for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm so happy to like talk up with you guys again. It's been far too long. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, if anybody's ever interested in taking tours at any of our locations, you can sign up right from the website that the, the guys have put graciously right down here below. Um, we're happy to have you by. If you just, you know, you want to take a tourist destination for an afternoon and just check things out. Or if you need access to create, design, make anything, we're happy to have you. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you go to Norfolk, you got O'Connor right next door and then coffee. Uh, and then what I, tell people, what I tell people is start your day off at the coffee shop across the street. Do your project. End your day at the brewery. Don't go to the brewery and then come back to the wood shop. That's right. And then in Hampton, you got Oozle Finch and you got Firehouse Coffee. So, I mean, it's just uh, it's yep. cool. Market. Great bookends. I'm telling you that that to me is part of the secret sauce of what makes the makerspace work so well. Uh, and man, I'm telling you, like Firehouse Coffee, those guys, they're members of the space as well. Uh, Pat and Matt, they're they're fantastic. If you get a chance, go try their coffee. They're, they're a great location. One of the oldest firehouses in America. Um, Oozle Finch, great beers from Russ and his team over there as well. Thank you, Bo, politician in waiting, uh, 757makerspace.com. Thanks for watching. Yeah, thanks, Bo.